Have you ever heard this phrase? Uh, don't tell me, show me? Yeah. You're right. So it's the same idea in this passage, in this book. It's not just don't tell me Jesus is greater than anything. Show me Jesus is greater than anything. Prove it. And that's exactly what the, the author's doing here. Yeah, Jaden. Um, what, um, what, what uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Book of Hebrews, chapter 3. And we're going to see another way that the author is going to show us that Jesus is greater than anything. We're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read those six verses, and then I want someone to see if you can find what the comparison is. Jesus is greater than blank. Who is he greater than? Verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So, Jesus is greater than blank. What would you fill in that blank based off of those verses? Yes. Jesus is greater than Moses. Very good. Now, why in the world would the author focus on Moses as a comparison uh, to Jesus? Why is it important for him to say Jesus is greater than Moses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you were to ask, remember, this is the book to the Hebrews, right? So you think the Hebrews had a high value, you know, a high view of Moses. Yeah, he was the guy, right? He was the one who led Israel out of Egypt. He was the guy who led them through the Red Sea. He received the law, the holy law of God from God and delivered it to the people. Um, he led them to the promised land. People loved Moses. If you were to say... If I were to make a crazy claim, like, I'm greater than anyone at basketball, which I am not, okay? This is a crazy illustration. But if I made that claim, and I wanted to prove it to you, then maybe I'd make a comparison. I I would tell you someone you know who's really good at basketball to prove to you how good I am. So with basketball, I could say, you know, I, I am great. At basketball, I'm greater than, who could I put in there? <laughs> Brian, yes, and you'd be like, "Wow, he's that good." Who would you? Who could we put in there? LeBron James, LeBron James or Michael Jordan, or something like that. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another one here. Um, I am. I am greater at. I'm greater at football. At, at football, I'm greater at football than Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now. Those claims would be quite the claims, right? But you're taking, you're taking someone who, in your mind, you equate with excellence in that area, and then you compare them and say, I'm, I'm greater than that. That's quite the claim. And, and this is kind of what is going on here in chapter 3. Um, he takes someone, Moses, who's the guy. He is, he's, he is seen as one of the greatest men who ever lived and says, Jesus is greater than Moses. And we're going to see how he makes that comparison and then why is that important for us. 
Um, but I want to kind of tie in chapter 3 to chapter 2 to make sure that we're uh, following the flow of thought and everything that's going on here. Chapter 2, the whole chapter is about everything Jesus did. You remember that? The plan? Um, the, we saw the problem where we, we were created to be um, in authority over all creation and sin came in and messed that up and now uh, we're not having dominion and, and Jesus was made a little lower than the angels and he was crowned with glory and honor through suffering. We looked at he was made perfect through suffering meaning he was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for us and that through his death he delivered us from death by destroying the one who has the power of death. And then the application last week was so you need to consider Jesus. And that was the, we actually took that from the beginning of chapter 3. Because we saw, therefore, consider him, think about him, look at him, uh, remember him. All of these things we need to consider Jesus. And we see in our first verse some echoes of chapter 2. Look in, look in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to see some, how he ties in chapter 2 to chapter 3. Verse says, therefore, holy brothers. Right? So, holy Back in chapter 2, verse 11, it says that we are sanctified by Christ. We're also called brothers. You remember when brothers showed up in chapter 2? Because Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. We're his family. He looks at you and is proud to call you family because he has come to rescue you. Rescue, And we see this here. He calls us holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. And then he calls Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And we saw both of those ideas in chapter 2. Uh, that Jesus is the apostle, the one sent from God. He was made a little lower than the angels. And then high priest of our confession. We see that in chapter 2, verse 17, where it says Jesus might become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So he's kind of tying all that in in chapter 1 before he makes this new comparison. These are all compelling reasons for us to consider Jesus, to think about Jesus. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than death. He's the one who's sent from God to help us. He's the high priest to represent us before God. And today he's going to introduce another reason for considering Jesus. So don't tell me, show me, prove to me that Jesus is greater than anything. Prove to me why I should consider Jesus and and fix my eyes on him. Um, He's giving us another reason to consider Jesus, to look at him, to dwell on him, to think about him. And more specifically, he wants us to think about one character trait about Jesus. And it shows up about four times in these six verses. Um, And the word is faithful. You see it it four times. Verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Down in verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Uh, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So Jesus is the faithful one. He wants us to consider the faithfulness of Jesus. And we're going to see why that is so important. So the the idea he's going to tell us today in in this passage is we need to hold fast to his faithfulness. Hold fast to his faithfulness. And he's going to do this by comparing Jesus to Moses. If you are going to be convinced that Jesus is greater than anything, then you need to compare and contrast him alongside of other things that you both are familiar with and hold in high regard. 
And we're going to see this again throughout the whole book of Hebrews. We've seen that he's greater than angels. We're going to see that he's greater than Moses. Later, we're going to see that he's greater than the high priests. We're going to see that Jesus is greater than the tabernacle and the temple. We're going to see that Jesus is greater than the old covenant. We're going to see that Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. And he just goes after example after example to prove to these Hebrews Jesus is greater than anything. And if there's one person that the Jews both were familiar with and held in high regard, it was Moses. He was the guy. Yeah. Sure. That one? All right. Um, John 9. Look at John 9, 28 through 29. This is a story of when the blind man was healed by Jesus. And uh, the, the high priests and the, and the scribes were kind of, kind of interrogating this guy that was healed. And, um, and, and the, the guy who was healed said, why are you asking me all these questions? Do you want to be Jesus' disciples too? Kind of in a sarcastic way. And this is how they responded to, to the man healed. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. So if you were to ask, right, the high priests, the Pharisees, who are you disciples of? They'd probably say, man, I'm Moses' disciple. I'm his follower. I know, we know that God spoke to Moses, and he did, right? He spoke to Moses from, the, from Mount Sinai, gave him, the Bible says that he spoke to Moses face to face. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And, and Moses was a faithful guy. In fact, Numbers uh, 12, verses 6 through 7, right back in the Old Testament, says, he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So, and, and he explains how I, when, with, when, with Moses, I actually speak to Moses face to face. I don't use the visions and the dream thing for Moses. I, I talk to him face to face. Moses had this close relationship with God. If there was a man worth following, it was Moses. Right, so the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than anything. And the Jews will reply, well, how much? How greater is he than anything? He responds, well, you remember that guy Moses? He's greater than Moses. And now they have a frame of reference to understand how great he is. So we're going to consider Jesus, and specifically we want to consider his faithfulness. How faithful is Jesus? And then we're going to finish off by saying, why is that so important for you to really consider and think about. Because that's, again, just like last week, that's the application for today. It's not go off and do this. It's not go and follow these steps. It's consider Jesus. It's look at him, remember him, think about him, envision him, consider Jesus. So we're going to see his faithfulness in these passages today. And the, first of all, the passage talks about that Jesus is faithful in his mission. And he, when he starts comparing him with Moses, he starts off by showing them how they're similar. He doesn't start off with a contrast. He actually says, let me tell you how Jesus is like Moses. He says that uh, in verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him, that's Jesus, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. So Jesus was faithful to God, the Father who appointed him. And the question arises, well, how faithful? And the author says, well, just like Moses was faithful in all God's house. This is actually a quotation of Numbers 12, 6-7. Right? Jesus, God says right here in this passage, 
Moses, he is faithful in all my house. So it helps people, these readers understand just how faithful is Jesus. Well, kind of like, kind of like uh, Moses was. In, uh, in, in verse, let's see, verse 2, um, the King James will say Moses is faithful in all his house, which is actually similar to how the Greek is worded as well. But when you look at the context of this passage and as well as the context of Numbers 12, 7, which, uh, which he just quoted, where it says he's faithful in all my house. When it says he's faithful in all his house, he's not talking about Moses' house. He's talking about whose house? God's house. And what's God's house? What, do, what does he mean by house? The world. Okay, we're close. They're close. Let's think about Moses specifically. Okay. What was the house that Moses was faithful in um, in the Old Testament? Church. Well, in the Old Testament, right? So the church is, the church is more New Testament. Yeah. Well, that was the dwelling place of God, but he wasn't talking about the tabernacle. He was talking about the, the people of Israel. So the people of God. He's faithful in God's house. He was faithful um, among the people. Um, in fact, later in our passage, when it's comparing Moses and Jesus' faithfulness, it says that Jesus was faithful over God's house. And then it says, and we are his house. And there, and when it's talking about Jesus being faithful over his house, it's, there it's talking about you know, us New Testament believers, the church. But, but if you were to comp- connect those two, it's, house would be the people of God, whether that's the Old Testament uh, nation of Israel as they're being delivered out of, out of, out of Egypt um, or the, the New, Testament, uh, New Testament believers. The house is the people of God, those whom God is redeeming and rescuing. So Moses was faithful in all God's house. He was faithful in the people of God. He was faithful in his mission. Um, think of all the ways that Moses was faithful in his mission in the, in, among the people of God. He, he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea. He brought them the law. He judged and governed the people. He was, he was the one who oversaw all of their issues and, and disagreements, and, and he was faithful. And God looked at Moses and said, Moses, my servant, is faithful. Faithful is the idea of, of dependable, reliant, consistent. He, 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 is, he accomplishes his task. He doesn't go halfway. He doesn't finish it 98%. If you ever finished a job just 98% and then you're like, eh, it's good enough, right? You know, the 2%, not a big deal. You know, 98% done is pretty good. No, that's not the idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness is complete, thorough, faithful. And the author compares that faithfulness to Jesus. Jesus was faithful in accomplishing his mission. Well, we saw Moses' mission. What's, what's Jesus' mission? Well, I think verse 1 tells us where he says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He calls Jesus our apostle and high priest. I want you to see something cool about those two titles. Apostle is the idea of a sent person, someone who is sent, and, uh, and, and sent on, on, to the people on God's behalf. So Jesus was, was God the Son sent to the people to deliver them, right? To deliver the message of the good news. 
but he's also the high priest. And here's the cool thing about this. Uh, A priest is someone who's sent to God on the people's behalf. Right? The high priest was the one who would take the sacrifice and present it before God on the sins of the people. So you have this cool like two-way description of Jesus. He was the one sent from God to the people, and he was the one sent from the people to God. He represented God to the people. He represented the people to God. That was Jesus' mission. He was the, 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 the mediator, the go-between, the intercessor, the one who, who bridged the gap between humanity and God because of our sin. And Jesus in this mission was faithful. He was the founder of our salvation. Some passages uh, from the book of John that where Jesus talks about how faithful he was in accomplishing his father's task. John 4.34 says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What's that work? It's that apostle and high priest work. To accomplish, to be the founder of salvation through suffering. And John 6, 38 through 40 says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. Not even one, not even one person that God has, that, that comes to Christ will be lost. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus was faithful in accomplishing that mission. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He did not, he did not kind of like you know, slack off in the last hours of his life. He didn't say, well, I've loved, I've, I've loved my disciples pretty good up till now, but I'm about to be put on the cross and die. Um, I, I, I need to think about myself now. No, he, he loved them to the very end. He was serving them to the very last minute. Even on the cross, he was looking at his disciple and his mother and saying, son, behold your mother and mother, behold your son. He was taking care of people on the cross. Yeah, Jane. Can I put you back? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, you can ask the question when you come back. All right. Um, so he loved his own to the very end. John seventeen four. he's praying to God the Father here. He says, I glorified you on earth and having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus came to do, which was, he accomplished what he came to do, which was to deliver us from death offer new life to those who believe, and he accomplished that perfectly and completely. He did not leave the project 95% done. He didn't, he didn't get 95% of, through his mission and think, eh, my people can make up the remaining 5% themselves. I did 95% of the work. I, I left heaven. I, I took on the form of a servant. I suffered. I was tempted. I, I taught my disciples. I, I preached the good, good news. I did 95% of the work. The least they can do is make up the remaining 5%. That's not what Jesus did. He accomplished 100% of what he was appointed to do. He is the founder of our salvation the great apostle, the perfect high priest, and he was faithful in that. And we're in this passage, we are called to consider, to think about the faithfulness of Jesus. And we can do this by thinking in terms of our salvation. If Jesus 
was completely faithful in accomplishing his mission of offering us salvation. What does that mean? It means there's nothing left for us to do. We don't have to make up that remaining 5%. We don't have to earn the rest of the way to salvation. No, Jesus was completely faithful and completely accomplished what he was called to do. Next, we're going to see that Jesus is faithful in his position. And in in here, verses 3 through 5, he contrasts, he starts to contrast Moses and Jesus. Um, Look in verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So he was faithful like Moses, but, but glory, he was counted of worth of much more glory than Moses. And then he gives an illustration for this. He says, just as, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. So if you were to go and visit a mansion, right? And, and, and wouldn't that be so cool to live there? How, how cool is that, right? It's basically a castle. Um, and I've seen some interior pictures of this. It's awesome, right? If you were to take a tour of this, you wouldn't give credit to the house, right? You wouldn't be like, good job, house. You did a great job. It's so beautiful. No, you look at everything and you'd be like, man, the design is incredible. Whoever did this, whoever drew it up, whoever built it is skillful, right? More glory goes to the builder of the house than the house itself. And he uses this illustration to prove that Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Because Moses was part of the house, he was part of the people of God. Look in verse, uh, verse 4. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses was just a faithful man. He was faithful, but he was just a man. He was part of the house because he was part of the people of God. You don't, you don't look at the creation and give credit to the creation. You look at the creation and you give credit to the creator. And here's an interesting note, guys, and I, I want to point these out when we go through these verses. I want to point these out to you as we come to them to, to hopefully strengthen your confidence in who God is. We, we, we say that Jesus is God, right? and we say that the Bible clearly describes Jesus as God, not just man. Check this out. It says, Jesus has been counted more worthy of worthy and more glory than Moses, just as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So Jesus is compared to the builder of the house. Do you see that? Now look in verse 4. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus, builder of the house. Builder of all things, God. Jesus is God. Do you see the connection there? Right here, we see in these verses, Jesus is credited as as God, as the creator of all things, which we see we saw at the beginning of Hebrews chapter one that he was that he was the creator God. Um, through Jesus, he created the world, and Jesus is counted of much more glory than this. And then verse five gives uh, take, gives us two statements that are kind of parallel, but there are. Uh, about four differences between these sentences. Have you ever looked at the, like, the picture comparison, that game? Or look at these two pictures and find what is different um, between these two pictures. Um, I'll give you the first one because it's really easy. Moses, Christ. Those are different words. Okay? 
Um, but getting that hard one out of the way, let's, let's go with the rest. So we have the first phrase, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Christ is faithful over all God's house as a son. Can you guys find, uh, raise your hand and tell me a different word that appears between those two. Brian. Servant and son. Good. Okay. Servant and son. Good. Uh, was and is. Was and is. Did you catch that one too, right? What else? Adam. In and over. You guys got it. So was and is, in and over, servant and son. Moses was, Jesus was faithful like Moses, but, but Jesus has counted of more greater glory than Moses because he's the builder of the house. Moses is just part of the house. Let's check out these differences here. Moses was faithful. Christ is faithful. Moses was faithful, but he was just a man. He died. His faithfulness stopped. Jesus is faithful. He was faithful on earth, and he continues to faithfully lead his children. Just as Jesus was faithful when he was walking this earth, he continues, he is faithful over us as his house. Another comparison. In versus over. Moses was faithful in the house because he was part of the house. Jesus was over the house. He's the creator God, the servant of our, the, the founder of our salvation. He's in charge. And then they were, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we see this, this, this distinction here. Moses throughout scripture is described as a servant. Exodus 14, 31, Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. When he died and when when Moses died and and, and leadership was handed over Joshua, God says in Joshua 1, 2, Moses, my servant, is now dead. Psalm 105, 26, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And Hebrews 1 talks about how Jesus is the Son of God, right? He holds authority over all these things. So, Jesus is greater than Moses in the fact that he is still alive, that he's over the house, right? And then he is a son over the house. So, if you were to just compare these two, well, I can't because that's not working. Envision with me a house, right? Moses is in the house as a servant, Jesus is over the house as a son. Guys, get the... In. Thank you. It's really good, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> it kind of is. Not, not going to lie. <laughs> that was an incredible reindeer. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, all right, so... And then what was Moses' ser- role as a servant? Look in, look in verse 5. Verse 5 tells us what his job was as a servant. Can, can someone tell me what, what, read the portion that describes what his job was as a servant, Moses' job. What was he doing? What was he called to do? Verse 5. Yeah. To testify. To testify, yeah. And to testify to what? To the things that were to be spoken later. Okay? Um. So what was, Jesus, what was Moses' job? He was actually called to point ahead to Jesus. He was, to, he was a prophet. It's foolish for people to place all their hope in Moses when he simply pointed to Jesus. 
Look in John 5, 45-46. Jesus said this to the crowd, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote of me. Here again, these people that are hoping in Moses. Moses is the guy. And Jesus says, why would you hope in Moses? Moses' role as a servant was simply to speak of me, to prophesy of me, to point ahead to the future Messiah. And if you actually believed Moses, you would believe me. Moses was simply a man pointing to the Messiah who was faithful in his position as a son, bringing many sons to glory. So here we have this whole comparison. How do we fit into this? We look at, uh, again, he makes the very clear case, Jesus is greater than Moses. Why is that important? Yes, Lena. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Why is that important? Well, I want you to look in verse 6. Okay? Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we, there, now we have been entered into this conversation. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. At the beginning of chapter 3, we're told to consider Jesus. And after talking about his faithfulness, the passage concludes with a similar command, hold fast to Jesus. So what's the application for us? Because of Jesus' faithfulness, cling to his faithfulness. Cling to the faithful Jesus and don't let go. We are his house. We are his people. If indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting, in our hope. But I want to ask this question because we might read that phrase and think, wait a minute. Is that verse saying that we can lose our salvation? Does it kind of look like that? We're his house. We're, we're his children. But only if we hold fast our confidence in our boasting and our hope. Right? If indeed we hold fast, is this saying that we can lose our salvation? This is a good question. And if it's true, that's a troubling reality. If, that was in, if that's in fact the case, boy, man... Uh, then I should probably know that. Because if I can lose my salvation, I'm, I'm, I'm in bad shape. One, one, one theologian said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. <laughs> because, uh, because we're sinners. So what do we do with this? What's he saying here? Well, let me start off just by saying he is not saying that we can lose our salvation. Here's a couple things we know from Scripture, and I think this will help us uh, clearly understand what this phrase is saying. We know... That Jesus will never lose anyone who has been saved by him. John 6, 37-39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will... What's the next word? Never. Never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. We know that Jesus will never lose anyone who has been saved by him. In chapter 2, it's talking about how Jesus is the founder of our salvation, and he completed, he was faithful in that. We also know from Scripture that those who reject the faith reveal that they weren't 
saved in the first place. On Wednesday, we talked about doubting the existence of God. And we, made, we said a, a true Christian can, can doubt things a lot and does. But a, but a Christian doesn't completely reject the existence of God or reject Jesus Christ. That's, just, that's, just, that's, not, that's not the nature of salvation. 1 John 2 verse 19 says this, They went out from us, those who, who would leave the faith, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain, it might become obvious that they are not of us. Saying, so, you know, you have a church, right? And, and, and everyone professes faith in Christ. And they went out from us. Some of them left. But the fact that they left the faith made it plain that they were not of us. They were not saved because if they had been saved, then they would have continued. They would have clung to Jesus. Um, so, yes? For the last one, the passage of the last slide. John six thirty seven through thirty nine. All right. Yep. So those are the two things we know so far. That that those who are saved by Jesus uh, stay saved by Him. We know that those who reject the faith reveal that they are not saved in the first place. And we also know that a continued devotion to Christ is the evidence of a regenerated heart. So in other words, when the author says, we're his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence in the boasting in our hope, he's saying this, if it's true that you are showing the proof of new life, then you are indeed his house. Does that make sense? That, that if, you are, if you have been transformed, the Bible says that we have been made born again. We don't just you know, get rescued out of hell and we just say a prayer and we're good. No, we're remade. We're made new. And part of this new person, this new creation, is someone who has rejected his sin and, and looks to Jesus. And if you're made new, you don't, you don't turn away from that. In the verses to follow, he's going to give a dire warning to the church um, that not everyone among them has a believing heart. Um, and so we are exhorted to examine ourselves. Hebrews 3.12, which we'll look at next week, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Is it possible for someone to claim to know Jesus, claim to be a Christian, but not actually be saved by him? Not actually be placing their faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely that's possible. But when you, when you think about it, this isn't as troubling as we might think. Right? At salvation, we're transformed. Everything about you changes, and you are His forever. And that change becomes permanent. Just like Jesus will never cast you out. He saved you. He'll never let you go. He transformed you permanently as well. Now we grow like we still sin. We still have issues. We still doubt. But we come to Jesus by believing in Him, and you continue to believe in Him. Because that's the work that Christ has done in you. And so the exhortation is, cling to Jesus. Like, like, like keep your eyes fixed on him. It may, to, to, we feel weird if we, if we held to the view that, yeah, you can be saved. You can call on Jesus to save you. 
And then later on, you can completely reject Jesus. You can completely reject God, the faith, and reject all of it, but you're still saved. No, no, that's not how new life works. You don't become made new and then you all of a sudden become unmade. You become made new and you're transformed and God keeps you and he preserves you and he leads you and guides you, helps you grow through your sin, helps you grow through your doubt, and ultimately will keep you till the final day. But you know what? The the focus of our passage isn't really on our faithfulness, though, is it? Did you notice that? Whose faithfulness is in view here? Jesus' faithfulness. He is the one who perfectly accomplished the mission of salvation. We're to hold fast to our confidence. Is that talking about my ability to be confident? This saying, hold fast to your ability to stay confident all the time. No, it's not. It's not saying that. Jesus is our confidence. In other words, it's not saying that if I ever feel unconfident in my faith, then I'm not a Christian. No, it's not saying that. It's not talking about your own ability to be confident. It's saying that Jesus is the source of your confidence. Hold fast to your confidence. Hold fast to Jesus. Consider him. It says we're to hold fast to our boasting in our hope. Is that boasting in ourselves? No. Is that talking about my ability to have hope? Cling to your ability to stay hopeful. And if you feel hopeless, you're not a Christian. Is that what it's saying? No, it's not, thankfully. It's talking about your ability. It's, 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 it's talking about the fact that Jesus is your hope. So cling to Jesus, your confidence, your boasting, and your hope. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse, verse, uh, verse 19. Uh, sorry, I got behind. Um, got into it here. For Hebrews 6, verses 18 through 19 says, So that by two unta- unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Who is the hope? Is Jesus, yeah. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. In other words, because Jesus is so faithful, more faithful than Moses, greater than Moses, he accomplished his work perfectly. Man, it's easy to cling to him. It's not dependent on my confidence. It's not dependent on my hope. He is my confidence. He is my hope. You cling to the faithful one. You can cling to him and hold fast to him because he is the faithful and dependable Savior. Right? Here's the big idea. Because he is faithful, you can hold fast to him. He accomplished 100% of your salvation. So consider him. You have every reason to be, have confidence in Him and boast in Him alone. The verses to follow, which we'll look at next week, are going to give us some really serious warnings to, to, to look at our own life and make sure, are we looking to Jesus? Have we placed our faith in Him? But the takeaway for this passage, I think, is one of encouragement, not one of warning. You are His house. If you have been holding, if you hold fast to the confidence, in other words, show, if you're showing the fact that you have been born again by Christ, then you are his house. And he is faithful over his house. 
And because he's faithful, you can hold fast to him. So don't let go of Jesus. He is, he's done everything for your salvation. All you must do is look to him. Jesus is greater than Moses. And because he is faithful, you can hold fast to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your faithfulness. God, we uh, are painfully aware of our lack of faithfulness so many times. Um, so many times we waver and we cry out with, uh, with the man of the Gospels who says, I, I, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Lord, we thank you that, um, that our salvation is dependent on your faithfulness, not our faithfulness. That you, uh, if we come to you, you, you remake us, you regenerate us, you, you give us a new heart that clings to you and considers you and rejoices in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to consider who you are. And more specifically, to consider your faithfulness. And we thank you that you continue to be faithful. That you're still faithful toward every single person sitting here. That, that, that you that you are our intercessor, our mediator, our closest friend, our brother, our king, and you're faithful in that. And we can depend completely on you. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.